acknowledge um, that we're here to worship. We're here to worship um, not just merely in action alone in our ascribing to you the honest this do your name. We, we also want to have a commitment to your word as worship. But not only extrinsically, Lord God, but intrinsically, God. We, we recognize that we don't just worship. Everybody worships. Um, however, in relationship to you, by identity, we're worshipers. And so, God, we embrace that reality. And, God, um, help us to approach your word in worship. Help us to approach your word with reverence. Help us to approach your word with openness, with teachability, and with a desire to be empowered by your Holy Spirit to do everything that you've commanded us to do. May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord God, my strength and my redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 You know, um, last week we started um, in the book of Ephesians, walking through uh, a series on who am I? Say who am I? Yeah, this, this is a very important question that, that every Christian, that every Christian must understand that every um, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ um, must understand is, 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 is who am I? Every, everyone, whether redeemed, that means in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, or unredeemed, that means without a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, everybody deals with that issue. And I, and, and I confess today that my greatest Christian struggle, my greatest Christian struggle is identity issues. <laughs> it is it, identity issues. Everything that we deal with as Christians can be traced back to a misunderstanding of who we are, whose we are, and what's our purpose. Every single thing in your life, uh, every immorality that we commit, every frustration that we have, every bitter anger that we have, every, every, every deed of the flesh that we commit always points back to a misappropriation and a misunderstanding of who we are. No matter how, how spiritually mature you think you are or how spiritually infantile you are, everything, all roads lead back to identity. And so Paul, in, in understanding the human condition based on the fall and even those who have been removed uh, positionally from the fall through Jesus Christ, through faith in him and his finished work on the cross, still struggle with the residue of identity. Every person that goes to counseling, guess what you're struggling with? Identity. And everyone that's struggling with their major in college, guess what you're struggling with? Identity. If you broke up with somebody that you liked a whole lot and you're struggling with that breakup, guess what you're going to be struggling with? Identity. Every single thing in your life, basically, the TV shows you watch, I bet you, nine times out of a billion, plus, you watch it because it makes you help and helps you with your identity. If you're struggling with your spouse, guess what you're struggling with? Really, identity. Everything in your life. If you're struggling with being single and wanting to be married, you know doggone well that it all centers on what? Yeah, yeah. Everything in our lives zoom us back into who we are. 
So the book of Ephesians, Paul does a phenomenal job, of course, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, helping the Christian understand who this is. Now, what's wonderful about the way Paul does this is Paul does it without focusing on man. See, see, many times when messages are preached on the identity of the, cre the creation or the believer, it tends to focus on the attributes of the Christian and God's promises on the life of the Christian without talking about the God who promises. And so when you do that, it's still going to be null and void because it's still us-centered. In other words, we exist to be taken care of. That's not why the Christian exists. And so Paul is trying to reshape and reformat us. Listen, all of us day by day, even if you have the right information biblically, always need transformational formatting. What do I mean by that? See, 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 many times in my Christian life, I know a lot of information about the scriptures, a lot of information about uh, of God. But one of the things that this happens to me is it's life happens. Right. And then when life happens, I don't know what happened to all that stuff that I had filed away. But all of a sudden I start functioning devoid of a biblical identity. And so what I have to do is I have to be reminded of that which is already in me. Now, I can have the scripture memorized in my, but it's something about opening that, that smelly Bible up that I have that I got coffee stains and Kool-Aid stains in and barbecue chicken stains in, opening it up and lifting up my voice to God and praying to him and asking him to reveal and transform me by what's in it. That, that's the struggle of the believer. And no, listen, you can't grow out of that. That's why we see into a glass dimly. Seeing into a glass dimly just doesn't mean uh, understanding of Scripture, but also we will dimly uh, be able to live out everything that God has for us because we're not glorified yet. So that means more you grow, the greater the struggle is. See, see I know they got songs out there called More Money, More Problems. But, but, but I, I want to switch that. More sanctification, more problems. I'm just telling you, just walk with Jesus a little while. I know you think you can grow yourself out of having problems. You're going to find out each step. I, 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 I like Pastor Larry because Pastor Larry got herbs and spices on his soul. And I'll say something useful. I'll say something very youthful to Pastor Larry. And he'll just go <laughs> and kind of snicker like, Live just a little bit longer, young man, because what you just said is going to be null and void in about three years. So and so and so and he, he just got that about him. And so, and, so, and so and so what I see, Paul, as we get into and we're going to continue in these verses today, which we didn't finish last week. On purpose. On purpose, we didn't finish them. And and, and, and Paul begins with talking about the triune God. And it started with our first point, which was our identity originated with God the Father. And we saw over in verse 1 through 3, our identity originating with God the Father. You see in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we, we talked about last week how... Verses 1 through 14 talks about the nature of those spiritual blessings. And the Father is the subject of this entire passage. So everything in this passage 
thanks God the Father. Thanks him in the sense of explaining his decision-making skills. God is a great decision-maker. God the Father is an amazing decider. And, and he decides better than anyone else in human history and eternal history. So what it does is it gives us a theological and exegetical sneak peek at eternity past. And what it does is it talks about the beauty of a living God who doesn't respond to man, but calls man to respond to him. Yeah, yeah, he's not watching out for us to see what he's going to do. He's not like biting his nails on his throne. And so he's making decisions based on his own passion and his own desires. And so we went through all of that and talked about the, a, a bit of those spiritual blessings. And then we began to get into some of those spiritual blessings and our identity originating with God the Father. And we talk about some of us struggling with daddy issues. Therefore, sometimes it's going to be difficult for us. It's going to be difficult for us to understand the fatherhood of God. Therefore, God has to train us to respond rightly to his fathership. And that's an identity issue. So God has already, based on this passage, put in action a desired identity. Now we're going to see what that identity looks like. It's, it's beautiful. So our next point that we left off last, last um, week was the foundation of our identity. What, what, what is the foundation of the Christian identity? Well, in verse, uh, verse 4a, it says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And of course, we saw that that word chose there is what we, where we get our understanding of the doctrine of election from. And how our identity originated with the Father is election. To elect means to mark out beforehand. And we saw that it was in a unique past tense that meant in a particular time, in eternity past, God the Father decided for himself to set aside a people for himself. Uh, for himself. And we saw that what, what was beautiful about the nature of the use of this word in the language, it, it means that even when God does something for himself, it blesses others. That was powerful to me. God, God, God is so fly that, that he can bless himself and and the sprinkling of the tinsel of the residue of self-blessings is enough to bless trillions and godillions of people. That is a number. And, 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 and it begins to talk through, that's the first spiritual blessing, that the Christian was elected. That's the first spiritual blessing. And I know you're looking for a house tomorrow. I know you came here and you was like, man, I'm, I'm waiting for a financial promise from the man of God. Well, what well, the beautiful thing that you should know today is if you are in Christ Jesus right now, God chose you. God looked in the corridors of damnation and time and saw how ugly you would get, saw how ugly you would act, saw how raggedy your worst sin is, and he even saw you trying to be righteous on your blessed best day and your blessed day when somebody said, how are you doing? And I said, you said, blessed and highly favored. But you struggling with secret sins and lying and looking at poor. At that time, right then, right then and there, he was, he was, he was deciding to love you. He was deciding to call you in a relationship with you. He, he wasn't saying, now how are they going to respond to when I, when I send this storm in their life? Maybe, maybe if I do this, they'll, man, I wonder, Jesus, how's it going to happen? No. No. 
Y'all like, I'm, I'm going to cop that cat right there. Raggeded angels rocked. Angels rocked. Angels watch and are blown away. We're going to get there later. About how in the world are we so beautiful and gorgeous and hang with them for eternity and two-thirds of us dip and there's no salvation for us. But he created these beings in a world and to enjoy him and they get more chance to enjoy God than us. See, we don't even know nothing about that. That's a whole other sermon. And they still fall away from him and he still reaches out to elect them and save them. Good God Almighty. See, some of y'all, see, the reason why this ain't hitting you, because you think you nice like that. You think you nice with your Christian life. But see, if you ain't nice with yours, it, it, with your Christian life, and you know you flunked, you know you failed, you know you went left field, when you look at election, it doesn't scare you, it blesses you. It, it blesses you. And this idea of election is not merely some doctrine to, 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 to blog about or get somebody a message to help them to be converted in their Christianity to understanding the, the corridors of predestination just to be arguing back and forth about. But predestination and election is a worshipful activity. It should make you worship. It should make you look to the God who looked beyond your faults like the old preacher said and saw your needs. Somebody ought to hear me. And so God is so powerful. God is so electoral. He's the greatest voter in the universe. Because everybody that he votes for never gets vetoed by anybody. See, when God votes, God votes with power. His vote, and there's only one ballot. Jesus and the Holy Spirit don't even vote. Whoever the Father votes for, they go after. And the Holy Spirit, we're going to find out later on, does a campaign trail for your soul. Woo! Well, he, he, does, he, he runs the campaign for the elect. Whenever God votes, he says, I got to go get him. And, the Holy, and Jesus says, I got to die for him. And so here in this text is, is, a, is a good doctrine. It's, is, a, is a doctrine that should rock everyone. It should make, well, what about, well, what about? No, none of us should have been saved. None of us. See, see, that, see our problem is, is we try to argue with the greatest decision maker in the universe instead of submitting to that. And so the use of this word election emphasizes that membership of God's people is due to God's initiative prior to all human response. Made before time began. So it is God who has called men and women to be his people. And those who respond are elect. God's call does not depend on uh, any virtues and merits of humankind. That's why I trip it on when I share the gospel with someone and they tell me I'm not ready yet. I said, I was never ready. In other words, they feel like I need to get some stuff right so when I come before God, I'm holy enough to be saved. That's an oxymoron. Because if you can do without God what you need God for, then why come to him? Therefore, when we say come as you are, we're not just talking about dressing a tie. We're talking about with all your brokenness, with all your stuff, and willing to repent and turn and turn to the living God. So indeed, he chooses the foolish things by worldly, by, by worldly standards to shame the wise, the weak to confound the strong, and the low and insignificant to bring to nothing those who think that they are something. 
The effect of elect is to leave no grounds whatsoever for human boasting in achievement and in position. So whatever the elect are, they owe entirely to God. And they never, they cannot boast or compare themselves with other people. Wow. Now, now what's powerful about this doctrine is it didn't begin with Paul. Didn't begin with Paul. God, the Father, was doing this in the Old Testament. The Bible says God chose Israel out of all the nations of the world. There were a lot of nations, but the reason why he chose Israel is because they were the most insignificant. And he likes that. He likes it when it's fifth quarter and the score is 7-0. And the other team is on the, zero, the, the, the .5 yard line. And the best fullback on the other team is about to get pitched the ball and they about to do a flea flicker. Y'all know nothing about no flea flicker. You know, and he had the line talking about some blue 32, hut one, hut two height. Could I cat that? And he moves back and then the cat coming through and the blockers come. And what God does is God in his power on the other team sends somebody to hit him. And the best running back in the universe fumbles the ball, and then some goofball scrub that barely got drafted picks up the ball and runs. He said, and he's on the 10, and he's on the 20, and he's on, he could go all the way. Listen, let me tell you something. When God does something in your life, when God transforms you through his electing work, he does it through the least. And the announcer's going to be like, how in the world did the guy with the worst record the most fumbles, the least fastest, make that touchdown. He gets the mic and he said, how did you do it? And this is when it's good to say, I just give all glory to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who helped me. He said, and everybody going to believe. Then they're like, yeah, had to be the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to do that. Then everybody in the stadium gets saved and on TV and on pay-per-view. Why? Because that couldn't have happened without God. That's your life. That's your life. It could, I'm, I'm supposed to be moving on, but you, I, I got to move on. But I'm just telling you, it couldn't have happened without him. Jesus says beautifully, Jesus said, you did not choose me. I what? Chose you. He said, all that the Father gives to me shall come to me. And the one that comes to me, I shall certainly not cast out. That's in a in, in the Greek, it's an emphatic negation, meaning it can never happen. It's a double negative. Double negative in Greek means it can never happen. It's not a positive. Then he says later in like verse 45 and 63 of chapter 6 of John, he says something powerful. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Now, it's a song that I love. It's called, I Found the Lord. The struggle with the song is, is the name of the song is off. Because nobody found the Lord. Because God was never on the back of a milk carton. God has been never missing and needing somebody to help him out and search for him. We were the ones that were on spiritually on the back of every milk carton in the world in need of salvation. And God, knowing where we are, goes after us, seeks us out. And finds us. I could keep going with that. But it says in the verse. It says in the verse. In, the, in that verse 4 also it says. 
even as he chose us in him. In other words, again, the sphere in which God chose us. And it says, before the foundation of the world, we talked about that. Now, 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 this is a very, very interesting part. It brings us back to our next point. Our last point, and this is what I'm going to close on, is the purpose of our, our identity. Now, Paul, Paul talked about our identity originating with the Father. He talked about the foundation of our identity being God electing us, right? But now he talks about the purpose of our identity. And this is very, very powerful in understanding, a really good understanding of this theology of election and the work of God the Father in our life. He says in the B portion, he says that, that's a purpose clause. In other words, everything that he said before this is now finding its purpose in what comes after it. So God does not save without a purpose in mind. A purpose. God is the greatest visionary leader in the universe and whatever he envisions come to pass all right so check it it says that we should be holy and blameless before him let's stop there and spend a little bit of time right there that that that's that's important that we should be holy and blameless in him talking about in christ again in christ we should be holy and blameless now what's powerful about this statement is it points to god's goal for salvation God's goal for salvation is, number one, that we're holy. Holiness in this passage um, points to set aside for a unique task. In other words, in other words, clean off your vessels uh, based on um, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 23 through 27. We are vessels of mercy. And so God, just like in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, cleared aside some things that were the most holy things. Here in this passage, euphemistically, is comparing the Christian to those same type of things that were cleaned off and uniquely set aside and untouchable by corruption. Now, when he talks about holiness here, he, it, it's a beautiful picture because it doesn't merely state what aspect or when that holiness begins or ends I think it's talking about the whole of salvation which I'll explain in a second but he says holy and blameless now this word blameless is an interesting word because the word blameless here is the same word that's used of a lamb without spot or wrinkle that is to be presented to God as a sacrifice for sin now, this word is usually only used of Jesus and in the LXS or the Subtuagent, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is used for the type of lamb that God wants, the type of ram God wants, or the type of cattle he wants his people um, to sacrifice. And so here it's pointing to the beauty of the effects of the gospel on the life of the Christian and in both in justification and in sanctification and in glorification. In other words, when you're positionally saved, when you're practically saved, and when you're ultimately saved, his goal is that we would be holy and blameless. That's God's goal. It's beautiful because it points distinctively back to Romans 8.29, which is almost becoming like a sponsor scripture for us as, as the church. That God predestined us before the foundation of the world to be conformed into the image of his son. So there is divine, your, your, what's your purpose? If, if you want a purpose and you want to understand your purpose, this is the center of our identity. When you look at Titus chapter um, 2, verses 11 through 13, when you look at verse 12, it says, in between the two advents of Christ, his first epiphany and his second epiphany is right now. 
He wants us to live righteously and with self-control and godly in this present age, in this particular time span. In, all, in other words, particularly representing his reign through showing off the beauty of who he is based on the fact that he saved us. So, so there is no such thing in the economy of God as a carnal Christian. That's not a category. And I know somebody said, why would the first Corinthians chapter 2, no, no, but that's not what he's talking about. Okay? The God's goal is not for there to be a substandard elect group of people who consistently live their lives faithlessly and he doesn't empower to live up to his biblical standards. So election is not conditioned on man's foreseen merits or even on his foreseen faith. It's salvation's root, not its fruit. In other words, it's the root of salvation which should cause something to happen. Nevertheless, it remains true that man's responsibility and self-activity are not diminished in the least, right? So when the divine decree unto salvation is historically realized, that's when you trust Christ and, I mean, when God regenerates you, right? In, in the life of any individual, it does not operate by means of external compulsion, but an internal reality. It motivates, it enables, it activates, it impels, but it does not compel. <laughs> That's very important for us to understand. Let me see if I can get some, some help from the canons of Dort, part three and part four. If you get a chance, just go on and I'm a nerd, I know, just call me a nerd. I am a geek, okay? But check it out. Check out what, what it says in the canons of Dort. These are some helpful things for us, right? This is the reason why you read geekish material, right? Moreover, when God accomplishes this, that is his election work, his good pleasure in the elect or works in them true conversion. He not only provides that the gospel should be outwardly preached to them and powerfully illuminates their minds by the Holy Spirit that they may rightly understand and discern what are the things of the Spirit of God. But he also, check it, by the efficacy of the same regenerating spirit. spirit. So he's talking about the same spirit that saved you, did all that to save you, convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment, gave you faith, caused you to be born again, all of that stuff, caused you to repent, caused you to be born again, all of, all of that stuff that he did, this is what, 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 what God has in mind. It pervades the innermost recesses of man, opens the closed, softens the hardened, and circumcises the uncircumcised heart, infuses new qualities into the will, and makes that will which had been dead alive, which was evil, good, which had been unwilling, willing, which had been refractory, appliable, and actuates and strengthens it that as a good tree it may be able to bring forth good works. Wherefore the will, that's your volition, your desires, I mean your, your execution of God's word being now renewed is not only actuated and moved by God, but being actuated by God itself also becomes active. When God saved you, he, you're alive for real. 
You will see in a few weeks that you were once dead in your trespasses. And that's why we don't worship total depravity. Because you are actually a saint. Amen. Amen. If you sit around bugging about your sin all day, you're, you're, you're misappropriating your identity if you're a Christian. I'm so sample. I'm so dirty. I just need to sit around and just sit in sackcloth and asses and, and just sit around and just meditate on how bad I am. That's demonic. That's left field of the kingdom. That doesn't mean you don't acknowledge your sin, but you acknowledge it and you're trying to utilize the cross as the means with which to move through it. So when he makes you holy and blameless, you don't meditate on how bad you are. What you do is, since I have been redeemed by Christ, since I've been transformed, this is not the activity of an elect and redeemed person. Therefore, God, help me to live in light of my new self. Help me to live in light of the Lord Jesus Christ who has transformed me. I am holy. I, that's when it's good to speak those things that not be as if they are. That's when you say, I am holy. I am blameless. And you don't focus on you being holy and blameless. But after that, you put a comment and say, because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. That, that's what happens. I am holy and blameless. And Lord, I want to function in that reality. God, I hate not functioning in the reality of the holiness that you brought me with. The blamelessness that you placed on my life. God, help me. I need you. Help me to live in light of my new identity. Help me to not be focusing on being a sinner, but zoom in on what it means to be a saint. That's Christianity. It's a struggle, right? However, you're not struggling without promises. <laughs> you're not just some entrepreneur trying to start a business. Well, well, well. You, 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 listen, you're fighting from victory, not for victory. In other words, Christ already did it. Now it's time to walk in his activation of it. So you have been made homely, holy and blameless. That's why. That's why dogging your wife. It's not your identity. That's why not being submissive to your husband. That's not your identity. Uh-uh-uh. Uh-uh. Not having a job and taking care of your family. That's not in your identity. Sleeping with everything that got lips and hips is not in your identity. Somebody ought to hear me. See, 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 when you know your identity, you, the deeds of the flesh become evident. You're like, dang, I'm wilding. Like, this is not even who I am. Why am I acting like what I'm not? You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're like, let me, let, me, let me see if I can make it plain. When I was in college, I was so used to my tuition being paid, like, on, you know what I'm saying? Y'all don't know about that. Like, I was scared. I was in class wondering, should I do my homework? And so, therefore, because things weren't paid for, I functioned like I was going to get kicked out of school. But it was something about when I knew my bill was paid. When I knew my bill was paid, I related to the classroom totally differently. Why? Because I can freely, with freedom of conscience, work and walk in the freedom to execute what it means to be a student because my bill was paid. It's real simple. Now that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, act like the bill has been paid. That, that's all I'm saying. Just, just act like the bill has been paid. Since the bill has been paid, um, stop acting like your light's going to be turned off any minute and, uh, and, and realize that the electricity that enlivens the, you to be one of the lights that, that, that communes with the lights of the world, listen, it's not going to get turned off. 
God pays all his bills on time. <laughs> and, and matter of fact, he's retroed everything. <laughs> and so everything's taken care of. So who are you? Who are you? And, and, and what's beautiful, I got, I got so much more to say. Oh, I got to say this part. Oh, my God, I like this part. Wow. Yeah, that right there. So check this out. Check this out. Now, I got all this underlined, bold, italicized, and asterisked. It says, from the stated purpose, it is evident that election does not carry man halfway. Woo! <laughs> it doesn't carry man halfway. It carries him all the way. That's why we believe in perseverance of the saints. That's what we mean, that God, because he elected you with such power, now empowers you to live right. Now, now, now the struggle to live right is, to, is God's usage of our need to help us walk in need of him. See, if he lets you go through life without needing him, then you'll start popping your own collar. Right? But the reason why you're always feeling like you are in a deficit is because God wants you to need him in your everyday life. And listen, oh, i got to finish it. It said, it does not merely bring him to conversion. It brings him and her to perfection. That is, uh, it says, its purpose to make him holy. That is, cleansed from all sin and separated entirely to God and to his service. And faultless, that is, without any blemish whatsoever. It says, nothing less than this becomes the conscious goal of those in whose hearts God has begun to work out his plan of eternal election. It is their goal in this present life, Leviticus 19.2. And it attains ultimate realization in the hereafter. Now, one of Jesus' main goals, one of the most greatest mysterious goals of the work of Jesus Christ in the life, Jesus has a job to finish. He finished uh, redemption on the cross. He's consummating redemption in eternity. Now, check this out. That means completing everything, right? So what's beautiful about this is when we get over in Ephesians 5, we're going to see a great mystery called marriage. Now, right there in verse, I believe it is 26, it talks about Jesus' goal. God the Father has given Jesus a goal with the church, which points back to the verse that we talked about in chapter 6 of John, verse 39. All that the Father gives to me shall come to me. And the one that comes to me, I shall certainly not cast out. John 10 also, uh, chapter 10, verses like 19 through 22, also talks about how big God's hand is and the fact that we can't, uh, no one can pluck us out of his hand. All right? So now, that's perseverance. That's preservation. Divine preservation. Now, in Ephesians 5, it says uh, a, a, a husband washes his, I mean, talking about Christ, loves the, right, loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he washes her with the water of the word. Why? To present her without spot or wrinkle. So, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, orchestrating us to be presented without spot or wrinkle practically. He's already done it positionally when he died on the cross and we had faith in him. Now, he's working in our lives currently. Every, all of God's resources are poured into you growing up. All of, God's goal is not for there to be some category of Christianity where we allow ourselves to act a fool. Jesus has funneled all of the resources. I like watching sci-fi movies. 
And I like when the ship get hit with something real hard. And, 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 then, and then they'll say, then the thing goes, dun, 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 dun. like they're about to go down and everything. This, this is my sci-fi coming out, so uh, please forgive me. Dun, 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 dun. And he said, what should I do, Captain? And the captain say, he, he says, I want you to put all of the resources and all of the energy into backwards thrusters. In other words, they do the backwards thrusters so they know this going for a crash landing. But when they do backwards thrusters, it slows down the ship so it won't crash. That's what God does in your life. Listen, Jesus Christ is putting all re- it's a lot of things that God can put all resources in your life to. But he puts all of his eternal resources, the spiritual blessings into you and I looking like Jesus Christ. That's his goal. And we must be patient with that process. I'll say that later. We're almost done. Then it, then it gives latter part of it. said that we, may, we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Now, this is interesting because it's not clear whether or not in love it's talking about how he chose us or predestined us to be holy and blameless in love or does it go what proceeds after it in saying, in love, he predestined us. Uh, you know, and, and there, there, there's no question for that. I tend to believe that it goes with what's afterwards. In love, he predestined us for adoption. Oh, my God. Now, now adoption by itself is its own sermon. But this is what the Heidelberg Catechism Q verse 33 says. It says, because Christ alone is the eternal natural son of God, but we are children adopted of God by grace for his sake. Now, that's a very short explanation. Now, let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me let me let me let me dive in something real quick. Now, adoption means to have the full rights of an heir. The full rights. Thus, although in the ancient world only boys could be adopted as sons, in God's family, all children, both male and female, are adopted. Now, check this out. Now, this is booming right here. I, I, I like this. Now, listen to this statement. This is kind of long, but listen to it. It says, it is rather useless to look for human analogies for the adoption of which Paul speaks uh, surpasses anything that takes place on earth. It bestows upon its recipients not only a new name, a new legal standing, <laughs> and a new family relationship, but also a new image, the image of Christ. Earthly parents may love an adopted child ever so much. Nevertheless, they are, nevertheless, they are too logical and unable to impart their spirit to their child. <laughs> they have no control over hereditary factors. Lord, have mercy. He said when God adopts, he imparts his spirit. This adoption is through Jesus Christ for himself. It is through the work of Christ that this adoption becomes reality. By his atonement, the new standing and also the transformation into the spirit of sonship were married for the chosen ones. Thus, they become God's children who glorify him. In other words, he's basically saying is that there's a limitation to talking about human adoption because you can't, even if I adopt the child, you can't impart your genetic code to them. But God imparts his relative attributes as a means of grace to impact the soul of the Christian. 
That means grace. That means mercy. But mainly the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kind. All of those things he now imparts to us to make us look like his son and to be means to be a measuring stick to say whether or not we're looking like the Lord Jesus Christ or not. And so, and so, and so this reality of this idea of this impartation of, of what it means for God uh, to choose us in love, to choose us in love and transform us by his gospel is beautiful when it talks about adoption, that you are now full children of the, of the, of God, the father and Jesus Christ is your big brother. You got the best big brother in the world. He won't let you get jumped by nobody. You know what I'm saying? See, my brother and them, you know, I, I was mad at them when I was growing up. Because I remember I hated to fight when I was real young because I knew if I, it was this switch in my brain that if it went off, I, I would black out and wake up and it'd be blood everywhere. So I was really, really scared to fight. So I didn't fight nobody. So they called me a punk when I was growing up. So this one time, this one time, man, this, this, this dude did something to me. And my sister looking out the window, my brother, they saw it. Then they did, then, then, then I, 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 I got in a fight and I ran, tried to come in the house. And as soon as I came, they ran down the steps and pushed me back out, closed the door, locked it and locked the windows. And they said, you can't come in the house until you fight. I was like, dang. <laughs> so I went and I kicked the boy's door in and it got beat the toast. The dude tore, I'm, listen. Tore me up that day. And I mean, I mean, listen, you I mean, tore me. I lost a couple fights, you know what I'm saying? I was real little back then, you know. But, I, I, but, but, but one of the things I look at with that is that Jesus doesn't send us out in a fight. He goes out in the fight with us. So when you're adopted in the family, you're treated like a true family member. You're treated like a true family member. And some of us, this idea of family is very, very distant from our reality. Because all of us come from broken homes. Even if you had good money, your mom and dad stayed with each other, everybody comes from a broken home. But we all came from levels of brokenness. You know, there are levels of brokenness. You know what I'm saying? However, everybody comes from a broken home. And what's beautiful about God's adopting work is he works in the midst of that brokenness to restore us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our identity is based on the family that we're in, not this world that we're in. And so now, everybody in a particular family has to walk in the same DNA and code. Everybody. Every single person in the family. Listen, when we went out, it's nine of us, all right? When we went out, one of, my, one of the things my, fathers would, oh, my father would always say to us is, listen, don't act out because you wear my name. He says, because you have my name on yourself, he said, whatever you guys do is a reflection on me. And so, therefore, represent my name well. That's what God is saying to us today. Now, my father did all he could as an earthly father could based on the training that he had with his dad leaving at four years old and leaving him and he having to work from nine years old up until he went into World War II. He did the best that he could. However, his best, no matter how good our early parents are, they, they, they are flawed 
and, 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 and they're challenged. But, 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 but the power that, that is beautiful of being in God's family is he empowers us to walk in what it means to be family members. He doesn't just teach us stuff. He, he transforms us from the inside out so that what he commands and what he desires is able to be actuated because we're in a relationship with him as children to our father. And so today as we close, I pray, I pray in Christ's name that we would embrace this new identity, that we would act like we're in a new family. Why? Because we've been empowered by Christ's death. We've been proud by Christ's death and have been transformed from the inside out. Now, maybe you're here and you've never been changed. Maybe you, you claim you in God's family, but, but you haven't really been transformed by the God. You may have said a sinner's prayer, but that didn't penetrate your heart because you didn't really believe you said the prayer to get somebody off your back. I know how it is. They've been bugging you, and so you said, well, what you want me to do? All right, pray. Jesus, Jesus, thank you, thank you. And then you go through the prayer. But really, your heart was not transformed by the gospel. If that's you today, the call first, there is no gospel, there is no relationship with God without repentance. It just doesn't work that way. So that means you have to, you have to be willing to change your mind about what you think about everything and embrace his. In repenting, you turn to him in faith. Really, they're almost, it's impossible to have faith without repentance. It's impossible. They are deeply enjoined together. That's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, he says, repent and believe in the gospel. They are very, they are enjoined together. They're enjoined together. So, so today, faith means to put your confidence in someone, something, or someplace. We're calling you today because God's wrath is after you. It is after, I mean, I don't know where you are, and, and you may not seem like you're being stalked, but God's wrath is stalking you. And he is going to put you eternally away forever. That's what he was going to do to all of us. But what he does is he, he is a holy God, and therefore he sent his son, his, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to become sin on our behalf. That means when Jesus died on the cross, God put all, his, all our sins on him, and he died on the cross, raised from the dead. God only accepts Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life to him. There are no other ways. They're not just human works. You can't get in by working harder. You can't work by, I'm going to take care of my, I'm going to pay my child support, I promise. I promise, so I won't get judged for it. Yeah, you'll still get judged for it, but you'll also get judged for having a, 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 a defiled nature. Therefore, God doesn't transform your works. He transforms you, and your works are automatically transformed. So therefore, you must repent and believe the gospel. That Christ died on the cross for your sins. Turn from where you are. Turn from your sin. And turn towards the living God today. You are not able to save yourself. We want to talk to you. We want to spend some time. Walk. I'm telling you, don't shake it off. Don't shake off that conviction. Don't shake, shake off what you're feeling right now. God is calling you into a relationship with him. And we want you, we want to sit down with you. And we want to walk you. Through, so that you understand it, not just through a drive-by sharing of information, but we really want to sit with you and explain the gospel to you. Therefore, on the back table, there's some cards. I'm just telling you, fill those out. Our connections team wants to get with you and, and give the right information. Don't just do it to please the person you came with. Do it because you can please somebody now, but not please, but 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 spend eternity separated from the living God. Therefore, come on and come on and let us let us walk with you. Turn towards Lord Jesus Christ. So that God's contract may be torn up on your life. 
And you can be adopted as a son and a daughter to be in his, in his family by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. Back at the back table right afterwards. Father, we honor you and thank you for the truth of your gospel. We, we love you and want, uh, we want, we want, to, want to work through this struggle of identity. That's all of our greatest struggle, God. Our greatest struggle is who are we? Who are we? God, will you help us to not try to create an image? Help us not to false advertise. But God, help us as Christians to walk as that which you called us. And those who don't know you, I pray that they would repent and turn towards you, believe the gospel. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.